0: On today's episode of Rice, we'll be debating the generational divide between Asian parents and their children, tackling trending topics including strip club chicken wings, Donald uh, Trump's first pitch, and criticizing the media. And we will be reviewing the Joy Luck Club. What up, what up, listeners, and welcome to the Rice Asian Comedy Podcast, where we share the Asian perspective on entertainment, culture, and trending topics. I'm your host, Vong Show, official spokesperson for gay, super cute Asians, and on our panel, we've got Jennifer Shung. Hello, everyone. Leonard Chan. And Sebastian D. Chow.
1: Happy to be here, Vong.
0: Um, okay, great. Uh, before we jump into our main topic of the week, which is the generational divide between Asian parents and their children, and um, the associated movie, which is the Joy Luck Club, which, of course, has that theme very much built in we like to warm up our debating chops in a section we like to call dim sum because it is a bite-sized nuggets of information so um let's start first oh hang on i've got to uh, change the graphical overlay let's begin with jennifer shung and her topic is strip club chicken wings
2: (laughs) we'll get to those Later, I think we actually all have a common theme this week for dim sum, which is sports and coronavirus. As you guys may or may not know, 22 NBA teams, all the players from these 22 teams are being, I guess, quarantined or isolating in this coronavirus bubble in Walt Disney World in Florida. And what happened a few days ago was uh, L.A. Clippers guard, Lou Williams, said that he had a family emergency. Well, not an emergency. He was going to the viewing, the death of his father's friend or something. So they let him fly. They let him leave the bubble uh, to Atlanta. And then moments later, Jack Harlow, his rapper friend, was posting a photo on Instagram of him at the Magic City Strip Club in atlanta so i guess the magic kingdom wasn't enough for his magic penis um no i don't know he claims that he claims that you know he he now admits that he was at the strip club but he was not there because there were no entertainers present just food all right he loves the food there ask any of his friends that's his favorite restaurant So now, because of his little foray into a strip club, he is now facing a one hundred and fifty thousand dollar cut to his salary. And instead of being quarantined for four days, they're extending that to like 10 days of isolation when he goes back, which means he missed uh, the team's first game against the Lakers, I believe. So. Um, that just goes to show you, uh, which do you love more, huh? Basketball or pussy? No. (laughs) 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 Or is it chicken wings? I don't know. There's a trifecta of desire going on right now. Um, I'm going to say if you're going to use someone's death as your reason to escape the rules, uh, I don't know, make it for something better. Like at least, I don't know, get an escort. No, I don't know. It was just, it was. Everyone's missing the life.
3: (laughs) Okay, I mean, thank you. To be fair,
2: those chicken wings at Magic City are dope. Yeah, I mean, fucking wings. This is like the best restaurant. It's his favorite restaurant. I wonder why. You know,
0: this is like the best advertising for a strip club ever. Like oh, they not a that. Famous so much It's a
2: famous
3: strip club. Yeah. It's like the biggest strip club in Atlanta. All the rappers go there. In fact, like any rapper who wants to make it has to have, they got to pay the strippers there to request their songs. No way.
2: That's, oh, like, it's, it's, oh it's, it's legendary. So it's
3: like it's a legendary strip
2: it's club. It's the Disney World of strip clubs. <laughs> and yeah. for, like, club.
1: And for $150,000 though, I bet like they would have just brought the strip club to his house for the night.
2: I know. He could have had like a private viewing, like yeah, yeah. You know, I I I would
0: say what makes it fishy too is so when the rapper, what was his name again? Um,
2: um Jack Harlow.
0: Oh yeah, when Jack Harlow posted it, then every he got then Lou Williams got in trouble, and then Jack Harlow um, tweeted oh, yeah. out, "Oh yeah, this is like an old he photo, an
2: old photo, and he's wearing his L.A. Clippers mask in the
0: photo." <laughs> Yeah, the Clippers mask from the current quarantine. So it's super ridiculous. I think, too, nobody believes Lou Williams because um, before going into the quarantine, he was hemming and hawing, saying, oh, I'm only 50 percent whether I'm going to go in or not. So and this whole funeral, I'm sorry. It's not like it's it's. First he said his grandfather, then it's like, it's my friend's grandfather, then it's like my dad's friend. It's like, who, but really, you clearly just went out for some chicken wings, some strip club chicken wings. <laughs> just admit it. You don't really care. I'm surprised you're letting him back in the bubble. And uh, thank you, Jennifer, for that topic. We're going to move on to our next trending topic with Leonard Chan talking about Donald Trump's. Pitch
3: with the New York Yankees. Take it away. So we're talking baseball. You know, baseball is America's game. It's as American as apple pie and school shootings. (laughs) Uh, Trump recently sent out this tweet. I'm going to read it. It says, uh, because of my strong focus on the China virus, fuck you, by the way, Trump, uh, including scheduled meetings on vaccines, our economy, and much else, I won't be able to be in New York to throw out the opening pitch for the Yankees on August 15th. We will make it later in the season. All right, look, I understand why he canceled. I don't know if you guys saw the clip of him at, he was, last time he was at a baseball game, the crowd booed him. And like, for somebody who needs adulation as much as he does, that's like jumping to a vat of hot oil. Like, if you watch the clip, we can literally see the moment where he realizes they're not saying boo earns and he dies on the inside. And I would feel bad for him if it wasn't for the fact that he's a terrible human being who just, you know, sent well wishes to somebody who's trafficking underage sex slaves. But on the other hand, dr fauci he got to throw the first pitch for the nationals and i mean okay it wasn't a great pitch uh let's just say he was socially distancing the pitch from the strike zone (laughs) It was uh, was but he's 79 years old he's adorable all right and like (laughs) and now there's a baseball card featuring fauci and it's like one of the top selling cards of all time all right (laughs) and then and when i wrote this like this hadn't come out but today Today, it came out that the Yankees—they had no idea that Donald Trump was scheduled to throw that pitch. They're like, "Yeah, we, we, like, he just made that shit up. He made it up because he's losing a popularity contest. To a dude who's not even trying. He's, he could just finish all his tweets with XOXO, Gossip Girl. Like, it's. <laughs> like, meanwhile, during all this, like, America is breaking records for COVID deaths per day. All right, and like now, going back to a basketball metaphor, like, this is this the like. Coronavirus could have been a layup for Trump, like an open layup, all right? Because in times of national crises, like political leaders get huge bumps, all right? Like after 9-11, Bush had like a 92% approval rate. That's like Mm. (laughs) Stalin-esque. Like even in in, uh, Ontario, Doug Ford, who I don't like at all, I begrudgingly was like, yeah, he deserves an 83% 83 approval rating. It's crazy. Like literally all Trump had to do was shut up, say, I'm not a doctor, and then, let Dr. Fauci speak. Instead, he's out there being like, no, we should inject bleach and nobody should wear masks. And he's got like a shockingly high 40% approval rating, which is only going to go lower uh, once all those people start dying because they're not wearing masks. Like, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Like, basically, Trump should not be wasting his time lying about throwing balls because, as we have learned, the only thing he's good at is dropping them.
2: Ew. He <laughs> just jump in, Vaughn, about Trump, because it reminded me of a topic I did want to talk about. I was listening to a podcast, and it was a quote of Trump uh, talking about how he has done more for black Americans, okay, in addition to Abraham Lincoln, (laughs)
1: like
2: more than any other president, with the exception of Abe Lincoln. This is quote, this is what Donald Trump has said. He has done more for black Americans than any other U.S. president than than maybe Abe Lincoln. And yet, (laughs) this week, he, when asked whether he would go to the memorial um, of civil rights icon John Lewis, a black man who is lying in state, he said, no, I'm not going. (laughs) 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 It's on your doorstep, it's in Washington.
3: At least lie about going and then go to a strip club and
2: eat chicken wings. (laughs) That just highlights the lies, I guess, and the hypocrisy. And it's just like, what planet are you from? Like, there's so much inconsistency. And then not to mention the whole thing that we've been doing with our kids all week, which is person, man, woman, camera, camera TV. TV. I'm cognitively there, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. If you're
3: like, if you, yeah. The best yeah. way to prove that you're not cognitively all there is to just continually trying to insist that you are. Yeah. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. You know, I think that if, if Trump went uh, to a, a, uh, a Yankees game, uh, I think the first pitch would be trash thrown at
3: his head. Yeah, yeah. His, his approval rating in New York is 32%. That's like 7 out of 10 New Yorkers hate him, which is shockingly low, actually, for New York. But uh, <laughs> it's great. Like, if he wants to go to a Major League Baseball game and not get booed, like, he's going to have to start a team in West Virginia. Like, that's it.
1: <laughs> the in-house Mar-a-Lago team.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you, Leonard, for that um, very intriguing uh, Trump topic. Um, I'm going to jump in here with my oh, topic of the week. Um, Which is so? I've been watching this show on Netflix. It's called Indian Matchmaker, and this show is like friggin' diabolical. It is not what I thought it was gonna be. I was just thought it was me, like you know, boring matchmaker. You know, maybe too traditional, too religious. No, it is this diabolical woman who keeps setting up these poor women who are paying her so much money with gay <laughs> men. She's setting them up with gay. Freaking men, like they are not just a little bit gay; they are overtly gay. Like my gaydar is going off so hard, I'm screaming at the TV for these girls to run away. Like this poor girl Nadia, I love her so much. She's Guyanese Indian. She is just looking for love. Like she got set up with this guy named Vinay, who is so gay. I can't even like. You know what? He. Okay. Like okay, like bu- okay. Part of the way through the episode, he just sort of stops calling her, and she's like, "Where's Vinay? Where's Vinay? I'll tell you where he is. He's at a gay bathhouse. He is so <laughs> fucking gay. Like, girl, you need to run away." And then this other girl, Aparna gets set up. So oh, I
2: don't like her. She's a bitch.
0: Oh, yeah. So, you know what? I I was I was less worried about her. But then she gets set up with this guy, uh, um, um, Shaker, or Shakar, and then she's like, oh, I really like Shakar, but for some reason, he's spending, mm-hmm. like, so much time talking to the bartender and the waiter <laughs> instead of me. Guess what? Because <laughs> the bartender and the waiter are both men. Like, you need to run away. And then, um... Oh, and then this other guy. Oh shit! I, I forget his name, but he was he he's a teacher. The first lines out of his mouth in the episode are, "My dating life is a hot mess." Okay, <laughs> when have you heard a straight man use the words "hot mess"? This show is a hot mess. I can't believe this is like I can't stop watching. She's diabolical, and these poor women—they're gonna. Oh my god! I just. Oh, and then this other guy. He did, he did the gay thing where he like, he like, he like touched his chest and said, oh my God, oh my God. I was like, that's gay. That is so gay. And then the final thing was when one of them went to go pay for the bill, they brought out their wallet and they took out their credit card the gay way. Because here, I'll explain it to you. Straight guys take out their wallet and... Like they just dig their thumb in and then like friggin' take out the card with their thumb because straight men are so stupid they don't care that they're stretching the leather of the wallet so their fat ass thumbs just dig in and stretch leather. Gay men, which is what this guy did, holds it and then with your dainty fingers you touch the top and slowly pull it out. And he did the gay credit card pull out. The gay credit card. I feel attacked. <laughs> you, no, it. No. you guys need to watch this show. I can't like I can't. It's diabolical. I don't even know. I don't even know why she's doing this. I don't know if she just doesn't know these guys are gay or if she's just evil, but it is. It is can't miss TV for all the wrong <laughs> reasons.
3: <laughs> they should change the name of the show to 90 gay fiancés. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Leonard. like
2: yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: And that is my uh, mini review of <laughs> Indian Matchmaker.
3: I got to um, fucking watch this show. That sounds great.
2: Oh, God. I started watching it because I saw you going off about it on Facebook. I'm like, I have to watch this now. Oh, my God. Did, do you know what
0: I'm talking about? The guys, do they not scream gay to you, Jennifer?
2: Hey, especially the first one, the guy that works at his family's jeweler shop. Like mm-hmm. he is so pretty. He's making like these flamboyant meals, amuse-bouche, like for everybody. <laughs> He's into design. He's got photos, like a collage of family photos in his closet. I don't know what's more closeted him. <laughs> oh,
0: authentic. yeah. His his whole intro was he wanted to give everybody a tour of his giant walk-in closet. That is not a straight man. That is not a straight man.
2: Exactly. exactly. And he didn't like any of the girls. He would just shut it down at the photo. Like, he didn't even want to. Like, they were like, he was like, no, I just look at the picture and I'm like, no. And I'm like, yeah, because it's a girl. Like, yeah. And But the, oh, so, does yeah. she have a penis? <laughs> exactly. Well, and the
0: funny thing is, the only person he liked was the girl who was a supermodel. And you would think all straight guys like supermodels. But no, the people who like supermodels are gay guys because supermodels have no boobs. So you don't have to worry about all the girly parts. <laughs> flat chested he wants the mm-hmm. flat chest, just like, honestly, a lot of gay guys really like like supermodels because of that.
2: they're androgynous looking. They're like yes. dangerously
1: thin, usually, right?
2: yeah yeah that too
0: they're like you know the girl version of a twink you know so anyway that's <laughs> oh my, my thing i'm telling you there's going to be a gay scandal on this shit somebody needs to out these people i think they're real life people um and yeah diabolical so
3: Man, i feel like <laughs> you, you just did <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, putting, I'm putting her on blast that's matchmaker Okay, let's go to our um, final trending topic with Sebastian D. Chow. And Sebastian is going to criticize news channels.
1: Yeah, okay. So I, I hate the TV news. And I know that it, it's a lot of like outrage, theater, and you know, resentment's a lot like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. I've grown sick of the system while my parents like still muster the energy to rage every day about what new idiot thing Trump did. I like, Yes, he's he's racist. He's stupid. He's rude. We all know this. It didn't change overnight. They watch the news on TV just to get mad. I find a lot of older liberals do this, actually. No offense to you guys. Uh, huh. A while a while back, uh, Wanda Sykes came out with an hour of uh, Trump jokes. But at the point where every Trump joke had already been made twice by like Colbert and Trevor Noah, like people just fume at the television for like for fun. They point to Trump's big, dumb face as he litters on camera or his toilet paper on his shoe and say, see, I told you so. It feels like Groundhog Day. If something important happens, like I'll see a headline about it. I'll, I can get my own preferred por- uh, form of uh, propaganda if I want. But every single time the, the president holds a press conference, my family's watching the news, yelling at the TV in rhythm with the talking head of the day who confirms, as we all knew, Trump is bad. Why? Stop watching. They're so angry every day. Wa- watching the news inst- instills an impotent rage in the viewer that rebounds internally and just deepens the political divide a little further every single day. And I, I don't think we can even learn anything of consequence from these conferences and discussions. I mean, here's how it usually plays out. Somebody from the administration walks out. Yes, we're still racist. Yes, we committed treason this week. No, it doesn't matter. Go
0: fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> ok, thank you, <laughs> Thank you, Sebastian. Um, there There was this one thing that um there was this one thing that I watched of there's this woman who um, her father started watching Fox News. And before he watched it, he was like just totally loving and accepting of all races. And then she just had this whole thing about how he went crazy and it became super racist. And and then he went to the hospital and then he couldn't watch Fox News and then he became like accepting again. I'm not sure how totally true that is, but I do think there is something to what you're saying of how um, people are getting radicalized.
3: Force, yeah, I mean or? studies that show that people who regularly watch Fox News like generally are less informed than the people who watch no news at all. Yeah, and while I, I aimed my my statement towards liberals, like just
1: I just assumed that there weren't many conservatives who cared about what I would say. <laughs> Obviously, Fox News is like huge propaganda, and it's it's a poison. <laughs> but I think all TV news is is like that to, a, yeah, to yeah, an most, extent.
3: It's because look, there there the problem is news is corporate news is for profit. So like every, they realize that there's money to be made in outrage. And
1: Mm -hmm. I know that there's a newscaster in this call.
3: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but she wasn't allowed to say anything. Except what...
2: <laughs> yeah, I work for Chinese media, so it was like as long as you don't mention or refer to Taiwan as a country, you're good. <laughs> as long as you don't demean the president or compare him to Winnie the Pooh, you're okay. Like we'll talk just... about the Dalai Lama. Yeah, don't yeah. bite. You know the hand that feeds you, which was literally <laughs> the government. So. <laughs>
0: Oh, as, um, yeah. as one of our new features, because this is a live stream, as well as a podcast that gets posted later. I know people have been making comments. Um, I haven't been replying to the comments because they're like on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um periscope twitch a few other places and i haven't figured out how to bring them all in but uh, i i do see that there's a comment from david saying omg i'm dead so i want to acknowledge thank you david um and and if you guys are listening um we will try and get your comments if you have something you want to say about this week's topic please definitely jump in because we're going to start right now um Our topic of the week where we delve into Asian culture this week is about understanding our parents and debating the generational divide between Asian parents and their children. Let us first go to Jennifer.
2: Hi. Um, Okay. So I think with my parents, I mean, My dad is 15 years older than my mother and they came to Canada around the same time. But my mom basically came here when she was a teenager and he was like, already this 35 year old businessman, which is kind of (laughs) creepy if you look at it that way. And they met at like a community college and they got married. Um, and basically my, my mom was, was like, my dad was her very first boyfriend. Like she was very inexperienced and they had a very tumultuous marriage. I mean, being a kid, I just remember that there were those traditional Asian values that we all know of, like be respectful of your elders. We lived with my, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, and she was kind of the head of the household because she was the eldest and she was the woman and she was my dad's mom. Um, there were things like favoritism, for sure. I was definitely the favorite child, not only because I was first born, but because I was cuter than my sister, physically. Um, I had bigger eyes. And Asians value those big eyes. They do. And so I was, like, the favorite of my dad and my grandma. And because I was the favorite of my grandma, that elevated, like, my status in the family, even though, like, we lived in kind of, like, a ghetto house Markham Street near Bathurst and uh, Dundas. Anyways, I just remember that, like, we definitely uh, struggled with money, even though that was what attracted or made it safe for my mother to accept my father's marriage proposal. He had owned three retail shops, like right at Queen and Spadina, which back in the heyday, even today is like primo real estate. Uh, But a fortune teller had predicted that if he, my dad, married my mom, like he would lose all his money because it wasn't a good match. My dad being a rooster, my mom being a rat. So superstition was obviously, I remember that as a kid. And the elders, you know, um, they had this kind of Pentagon mirrored thing hanging at the door to ward off evil spirits. Like my mom or my aunts would tell me horror stories from like, from like Chinatown, like of a white ghost woman standing on top of that restaurant with the two lions outside of it. And I just remember being freaked out as a kid because so much superstition and feng shui and beliefs. And um, they would talk about how one of their parents' daughters was like in a very hush hush manner, like we're being polite to their face, but behind their back, we're going to talk about it like a very Chinese way talking about how this daughter was like possessed, but turns out like she just had schizophrenia. (laughs) So that was kind of fucked up as I've learned. Um, but I will say that like, um, you know, my parents, they, they split up, which is not very common for Asian families of that generation. None of my cousins' families were, were broken up um it's hard for me to talk about it a bit because it's like it's bad memories you know my dad basically was violent towards my mom um they struggled more and more financially and she would do all the work in the house work till the wee hours of the night while pregnant in the basement cutting out clothing samples cuz they owned you know a retail store and then on the weekends they'd you know, haul ass to the flea market to sell like picture frames. Anyways, they split up. We moved to a woman's shelter. And I think when I went to live exclusively with my mom, because I guess she got custody because my dad was like violent towards her. That's when I would say that my upbringing was less traditional. Like I didn't enjoy my grandmother's Chinese cooking. It was craft dinner after school because that's all she had time for as a single mother. And it was like less Chinese being spoken to me because she came to Canada when she was 15. So Her kind of default language was always English with us, whereas with my dad and my grandma, it was Chinese. So there was, like, immediately a loss of language. I mean, the most tragic part, screw losing the language, it was really losing my innocence, I guess, because, uh, you know, she... um, I joke about it in my comedy. I say that like we are the least traditional family and the show that I loved watching growing up was Jerry Springer because I would look at the <laughs> white trailer trash on that television show and be like, it's my family. Um, you know, given like the the abuse that happened, uh, I'll just shorten it because I know we're short on mm-hmm. time. But yeah, basically I was molested by my mom's boyfriend, which was my dad's ex-best friend for a number of years. And because in Chinese families, they don't teach you about sex education, like I'm sure when you guys were young, there's a sex scene on TV. Like I love dirty dancing, but every time they got hot and frisky, like oh, pillow in my face, and they'd be like <laughs> which means like perverted or yellow wolf or yellow. It just means yellow, which is like very weird that the color associated with us would be like bad meaning mm. in Chinese. Hi, baby, i a corner. Yeah. <laughs> mm. so, I didn't know anything. I didn't know from my ass from my vagina. You know what I mean? I didn't know what was going on. So when I was being molested, I was like, oh, my God, am I being raped? And the first thought was I cannot say anything to anybody because this means that I am bad and I am vile. And if my family, if my dad, if my mom, if any of this gets out, like I was watching like Law and Order, like I thought I'd have to sit in a witness box and disclose all these nasty details happening to me. So I kept my mouth fucking shut. And that silence, which is so admirable, the stoic Chinese silence, the stoic Asian silence is what kept the fucking comfort women that my sister made a documentary about silent about their experience Mm. for years and years. And they finally spoke up in the 1980s. And it wasn't me who spoke up. It was my sister, because I guess she had, you know, bigger balls than me, not just because she's a lesbian, but, you know, I guess it's just braver. Um, And I think that generationally, you know, to sum up, like. Today, like, my kids know the meaning of the word pedophile. They know what sex abuse is. And that is just, I think, a generational but also a cultural thing.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Jennifer. I I think especially important to talk about is the abuse that happens in first-generation households. Like, I know, you know my family, you know, first generation family, none of us were born in Canada. And you know what, we did have um, our house had uh, had uh, had had a physical abuse, um, both from my dad and my brother. He, he's the oldest to the rest of the children. And, you know, I feel like when I talk to white people, they seem like really surprised. But if you talk to like Asians or other immigrants, it's really common and you know what like one thing i want to say too about my parents though is you know at first i did have a hard time with the generation gap because they grew up um you know they they obviously grew up in in laos thailand and china and their their values were just so different like they they really wanted us to you know, even though we're in Canada, to still hold on to our values. And I think in some ways it was good, in some ways it was bad. In the good way is that, you know, outside of school, at home, we only spoke Laos. Like, we didn't speak English, and they always surrounded me with a lot of Asians so that I wasn't, like, one of these... You know, Asian kids who like wish they were white. Like, you know, and in fact, and I've told this story before at my school, there's only white one white kid at our school and we beat him up every day. So, if anything, I always felt bad for like white kids. I thought they were like these like sad people who just got beat up by Asians. Um, by you.
1: <laughs> by me. Yeah. You're, you're, you got your foot on his neck. You're like, oh, this poor guy uh-huh. should really come a break someday. Not right now. Yeah. Obviously, not now. But
0: yeah. Yeah. I would say where. You feel privileged? Do you feel privileged? <laughs> <laughs> In my neighborhood I was I was privileged. I think in overall Canada as I grew up I learned I wasn't as privileged, but in my neighborhood we did kind of rule that whole school. I will say because I'm the youngest of five children, I was lucky because the whole generational divide I do think happens with the oldest children more so, and like my my sisters really had to go through it. They went more through more of the of of, of, the, of the physical abuse. They went through not not being able to go to summer camp, not being able to sleep over at friends' houses, um, just because it was. Um, you know, it, it, it just wasn't something that you would be allowed to do in the old country and, um, you know, I, I will say, as you can tell, I'm a bit less prepared this week. If you notice, we have, like, new graphics. So I, I spent my week doing the graphics instead of getting prepared. And, of course, it's the week I'm talking about, like, physical abuse in my family. So it's probably the, the one I should have been <laughs> well, most prepared it's for. It's all
3: very graphic, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: so one thing, though, I do want to say with my parents and specifically my dad and the reason why I still talk to my dad and not my brother is, you know, my dad had an epiphany um when we were younger because what happened was one of my sisters ran away because of the physical abuse and she didn't talk to family for like 10 years and um it really broke him as a person like it honestly did he just was never the same um and he really learned that he had to change his ways and he finally apologized and really did change as a person and as you know as the other panelists and other Asians know an Asian dad apologizing and changing his ways is like completely unheard of. So, you know, I, I do want to give a lot of thanks to my older sisters for sort of going through all the all the pain of, of let's say, re-educating my parents about where they live now um, in Canada. And so, you know, like, like I said, it's sort of twofold. One thing is I do like that my parents instilled in me our cultures and our value, but I do also like that they changed over time. And hopefully as somebody who grew up in both cultures, I can represent both and the good and bad of, of both. Um, yeah, that was my totally unprepared talk. And I. this is the first week I'm live streaming to my other Facebook. So I have two Facebooks. I have like the Vong Show Facebook and the Vong Sendera Facebook. And I just realized this is the first week I'm live streaming to the Vong Sendera Facebook, which is all like my friends and family from back home. So uh, maybe I didn't choose <laughs> the best week. But, you know, I, I do want to say and I want to thank Jennifer because she's so open about her life and, the, and what she's gone through. And so that inspires me to talk openly about it because I don't think it's something my family should be ashamed of. And I, it's something that we all went through and I actually think it's a proud moment that my dad, I don't think he was a bad person. It's just, that's how he was taught to discipline people. And, you know, and all, and to be able to change and accept that, I think, really shows growth. And the reason why I don't talk to my brother is because he has never apologized for the abuse and he still continues to be in his old mindset. So, you know, the whole thing where people say, you know, you have to forgive your abuser, all this shit and, you know, forgiveness, like F forgiveness. You know what? Hatred is not a bad thing. Hatred saves time because then you're not dealing with these people who are just awful. And if, why should I forgive somebody who won't even admit what they did, you know? So, yeah, that's a little bit of my family history and trauma and drama and yeah at said I wanted to thank Jennifer again for being so open because that gives me the strength to be open as well because I know Jennifer said that her sister is a strong one and her sister is very strong quite a dynamite um, documentary filmmaker I really look up to her but Jennifer as well is incredibly strong I just wanted to say that thank you okay let's head over to uh to uh leonard and see if he, he as well has suffered um abuse maybe you yes, know. he has suffered <laughs> we suffered. had we had sexual abuse we had um physical abuse maybe emotional abuse now for yeah. for leonard i don't know well what flavor up, of abuse leonard. do you have
3: this is really hard for me to talk about but like i really i really wanted this one gi joe toy and i got this other one like what <laughs> oh, shit, guys. Like, I had a great childhood, okay? Like, it was great. My parents are amazing. They love me. My parents are awesome. It's such a privilege. Like, that's the privilege. The privilege is having great parents. I feel I'm so sorry for both. <laughs> My childhood is
2: <dancing>. Ah.
3: <laughs> Like I didn't wait for anything. I'm a firstborn son. Everything's good. True. I'm the only child. My parents are amazing, and I'm not just saying that because I chose to become a comedian. Now I really need that inheritance. Like my parents are off. <laughs> no abuse, just love. It's. I mean, I wished you guys had that. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, I don't. Re- I, on, I don't even know how to say anything after that. Uh, you know, because, uh, yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm incredibly privileged. Like, right, so, incredibly
0: so, privileged. So maybe, like, maybe I'll, I'll I'll flip it a little bit because, you know, obviously me and Jennifer got into the abuse part because that is sort of generational and that is something that was learned um, in the old country. But the topic isn't specifically about abuse. So maybe, Leonard, if you <laughs> wanted to talk more about, you know, Um, like your relationship with your parents, did you understand them? Did you, were they born in China or were they born here? Maybe they were
3: both born in Hong Kong. So Mm. they're both born in Hong Kong. And then they moved to Manchester for a while. Uh, so they lived in England for like 10 years and then they moved here to have me because they were like, ah, England is very racist, uh, which totally borne out by this whole Brexit nonsense. And yeah, (laughs) so they came here and then they had me and then, um, so, yeah, like my upbringing was really, you know, it's it was like a it was like a combination between the Joy Luck Club and like family ties. You know, they were still like they were still trying to understand like the Western world. They weren't like, oh, you can't like stay out like you have like they weren't draconian like some Asian parents are. And they never abu- like they hit me. Sure. But like what Asian parents don't hit their kids like that's but like. Also, like, I I went horseback riding. Like, that was my recreational shit. Like, it was like the one. But my parents would take the riding prop and hit the horses with, they would beat me with it. So it was, like, the most Asian punishment with, like, the fucking whitest tool. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that was my upbringing. Like, it was pretty, it was... Privileged. Wait, 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 like, okay. So your parents beat you with a stick? <laughs> like, what, why? It was the thing that you would hit the horses with. And so it hurt. It hurt a lot. Because, like... Oh, you, okay. you got to have a very specialized tool to make them feel it, you know what I mean?
2: But why did you become an engineer? Was that their pressure? Or did you, and like, did you admire someone in your family? Like, did you have any of those, like, Asian pressure, like the values about what makes a good career and job? You no, know, I had the
3: pressure of wanting to be successful because I didn't want to disappoint them. Mm-hmm. But the, ironically... Like my parents, when I decided to become an engineer, my parents were like, but you love writing. Like you should go into journalism. Interesting. And I was like, no, because (laughs) I like science. I like creativity. I thought engineering would be a combination of both. It's really not. Like if you're creative in engineering, people will die. So you got to do what you're, (laughs) you got to do like how this is how you do it. Like you can't like just build a bridge in a fun new way, you know?
1: (laughs) What if we made it out of spaghetti? (laughs) <laughs> fun. people
3: have a snack halfway through <laughs> but um no my parents actually said you sh- I-, I should go into journalism and here and this is where i was like and it got like a- look i was 15 i was still trying to figure out what i was going to do total idiot and i was just like oh no, i don't want to be a journalist i don't want to have to go to a war zone <laughs> and it was just such a dumb thing to say that my mom was like well he's so stupid let's just let him become an engineer <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's, let's lower those expectations.
3: Yeah, like, they never, I never felt like they put a lot of expectations on me, but at the same time, like, I knew that, you know, and I think, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but it was really about, like, like, they instilled in me, like, a work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And because, you know, like the way Asian parents and and this isn't restricted to Asian parents, like I think this is simply good parenting is like you force your you don't let your kids just give up when it's hard. Mm. Right. Like and a lot of kids, you know, I see that happens a lot in like some other families where they're like, yeah, but they didn't like it. So whatever they can just let them do what they like. It's like, no, 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 no. You make them do something they don't like or I mean, they have to like it a bit. But you have to make them get past the parts right. hard, so that they get good at it, and then they can experience what it's like to feel like excellence. Mm. Yeah. Because otherwise, like I, you know, it's easy to give up on shit. Even if you, especially like it, it you know, it's just it, it's easy because things are hard. Force yeah, them
1: you know. into excellence. That way, they resent it once they have it.
3: <laughs> um,
0: okay, let's yeah. uh, let's jump into into Sebastian's upbringing and how did you um, how did you get along with with your parents? And do you feel like you understood them, whether it's their Asian heritage or their non Asian heritage, just sort of like the generational divide? Uh,
1: so uh, with my parents, similar to Leonard. Like, we were not struggling, but it always felt like we were. I don't know why, (laughs) but I always thought that we were, like, close to, like, losing everything. We were not. My father was an engineer. We had no financial burdens. Uh, (laughs) uh, But for some reason, it felt like I was, like, a step from broke. Like, we bought a a big-ass house, not a mansion or anything, but, like, a sizable suburban home right before the crash of 2008. Oh. And immediately, it was worth nearly nothing. Like, my my dad lost a job and had to go to Texas for work. I'm like, oh, my God, my dad had to leave the family because we we had nothing. While my mom had to get a a job uh, working retail at Toys R Us, I thought it was all falling apart. Uh, Meanwhile, my family had three cars and two people who could drive at the house. And my brother is still doing travel baseball and getting private pitching lessons. I didn't think, oh, my dad managed to get work in this crisis where no one has a job. Uh, I I was thinking, oh, my God, my dad, he had to leave uh and far away and mail us money uh while my my mom's in toys are mm. like I, I had this misconception was this house though in detroit that they bought it's uh, in metro detroit so it's not in yeah. like a bad area i mean
3: it was probably never worth anything to begin with <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's be honest
0: okay okay uh <laughs> no comment as, uh, as somebody who actually does do a lot of performing um in detroit i will i, I will stand up for detroit just, just so people see, keep coming to my shows um <laughs> I, there's I, a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of, bandos in detroit. A, lot of um, a
1: lot of crack dens you know you can just stop by just <laughs> pick up some crack no one lives there uh, officially
0: yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I always had a lot of reverence for Detroit because it, Winnipeg, I describe Winnipeg as like the Detroit of Canada because the murder capital of Canada, the violent crimes capital. And From also, what you've said
1: of Winnipeg, it sounds much worse than Detroit, actually.
0: I know, right? <laughs> well, thing is, you know, the funny thing is, so um, for our American listeners, what you might not understand is each Canadian city is tied to an American city for their nightly news. So we would get the Detroit nightly news. And so oh. I feel like I know lot about detroit because i sort of grew up watching the news and i was like oh they had three murders we had three murders you know a couple like okay so so if you live in an
1: area that's bad like detroit you you say well at least we're not gary indiana (laughs) and that's how you get by you you find another shithole like even worse and so ours was like gary indiana because that's the worst place that you could be
3: for toronto we kept getting the the news from tonawanda (laughs) <laughs> or not buffalo. buffalo there's always like a fire there's always a fire in tonawanda we don't you know i don't know why <laughs> tonawanda like, was perpetually in flames that's from what i understand Wait,
2: um sebastian is your mother the asian
3: no his last oh. name is chow that's the first clue
1: yes yes we, we, we we've, we've broken the stereotype like leonard yeah,
3: yeah like nice. I said, sebastian is my son yes
1: yes, yes.
3: <laughs> now,
2: was now, like super traditional or like? no how, not at why? all
1: he was, uh, he was a he was a native, Torontonian. Uh, from he was like sec, he was like uh, no he was uh he he was his parents were first generation.
3: Yeah, maybe. What kind of engineer
1: was he? Uh, well, so he it was he studied mechanical engineering, but he kind of yeah. worked the business side. So like I thought he was like a like a real number crunching engineer from when I was growing up, and I, I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm not like I'm not good at that. Uh, I'm, i I I can't do what my dad does, and then I grew I grew up and he he like does mostly business stuff.
3: Yeah, most engineers do. I actually did very like I did some engineering, but I was mostly business for like twenty years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one one thing I want to ask on the topic of our parents and understanding our parents is maybe. What value did they try to instill in you that they had from their generation that you were just like no like this is yeah so
1: they're they're Canadian and so uh, they're liberal in America
0: mm.
1: uh, like Canadians are like very 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 left in in America mm-hmm. and so politically my parents are liberal and so am I if uh, the orange man is bad was the lesson I was supposed to learn mission accomplished. <laughs> But if the goal was to make me learn piano and violin through childhood lessons, definitely not.
3: Mm.
0: (laughs) How how about you, Leonard? Was there an old traditional value that they tried to pass on to the next generation and you were just like, no?
3: Not really. I mean, now, actually, it's interesting because I feel like my parents have kind of been sucked into, like, Chinese nationalism, which just, like, American nationalism is just dangerous. Like, nationalism is, is, like, this wild beast like you know and once you lose control like that's how you get nazis and shit right so like um yeah so they were kind of like because like china's doing really really well and you know when they were growing like they they like went like they grew up in the cultural revolution right so it's like Mm. things were not good right and now they're seeing things are are very good and they're like well we want to make sure this continues and they're pretty much like yeah, man, anything it takes, you know, like sometimes you got to break some eggs to make some offlets. I'm like, you're ethnically cleansing those eggs, man. Like, what the... (laughs) So Mm. they're kind of like, uh, do whatever it takes to make things work. Whereas, like, you know, they're kind of like ends justify the means. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know about that. Mm. Like, so that's, like, that's kind of where the source of all our disagreements are now. Mm. I mean, obviously, this has been... You know, our, our uh, disagreements have gotten more nuanced as I've grown older, older and, like, you know, sort of learned a bit more about the world. But, I mean, I see where they're coming from. I totally get it. It's just a very different mindset than what, you know, because I've been brainwashed by the Western media to mm. be believing in human rights and stuff. I don't know. It's weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, just
3: to, Heavily propagandized.
0: Uh, just, mm. just to finish off our parent section, I think one thing with this week's movie of the week, Joy Luck Club, was you know several of the daughters didn't really know their mother's story. Um, some not until the the very end. So I guess wanna, what sure. I want to ask, and I'll, I'll answer first. But um, mm-hmm. what I want to ask the panel is, you know, how much do you know of your parents' life and their and their story? So for me, um, it was a, it was in, it was an interesting story. Um, my parents didn't like to talk about the past too much, especially my mom. Um, she ran away um, from. I think she was living with her aunts. Um, so I, I, I don't know what happened to her parents. I should probably find out. Um, but I think her her parents died or something. She was sent away to live with her aunts. Uh, she, she was born in mainland China. She was sent away to live with her aunts. I think also somewhere in southern China. Um, but she was like... Um, sort of treated like Cinderella like she was just forced to do all the housework as mm-hmm. the you know quote unquote stepdaughter niece um and then from what i understand what led her to run away was she she talked back once and then she got hit in the face with a frying pan and it broke some of her teeth and oh then, my god that's so not it well, doesn't
3: work when it's not a cartoon no yeah, I- <laughs>
0: So it's like, not like
3: Looney Tunes and shit. He hits him with a frying pan. You fucking killed them, but it's nuts. <laughs> oh, my God. And then she
0: ran away. She ran away so far. She came to Laos, and then that's where she met my dad. Um, Apparently, it took my dad a long time to convince my mom to go out with him because... My mom was gorgeous when she was young. She's still gorgeous now. But when I look at the wedding photos, I was like, good on you, Dad. (laughs) My mom (laughs) was absolutely gorgeous. Um, And it took him a while to convince her. Um, And then the story of how I came to be um, both alive and in Canada was um, the communists were taking over Laos. And, um, it's kind of funny because so the, the story of last people don't, don't understand it's never involved in a war, but it's on the way to other countries that are involved in wars. And, um, if you watch or, if you watch or, um, read, uh, or, or read a Naruto, it's very similar to the rain country where, um, they just got bombed. So, um, it was Naruto
3: the, the anime you speak of?
0: Yes, so the, like the manga? Yeah, so Naruto the That's anime, the um the, the the best villain of that came out his name was Pain and he came from a similar country where they weren't involved in the wars, they were just a small country that just got used and abused by other bigger countries and And like that country, so Laos, people don't understand, Laos is the most bombed country in the world. We have, um, uh, you know, the best example of turning lemons into lemonade, if you go to Laos, there's a lot of buildings that are built out of old bombshells. Because we just had so many bombshells laying around. We're like, let's, I guess, make buildings out of this. So, (laughs) you know, Laos is a little bit crazy. They're getting taken over by communists. My parents wanted to escape. My mom was like eight and a half, nine months pregnant when they tried to escape. So in the middle of the night from our little farming village, they got it. They got onto a little raft on a river. And my nine months pregnant mom you know, was rowing the boat with four kids in hand, plus me and her belly. And they had to make it across the river. Um, wait for the changing of the guards. I know this sounds like, you know, the opening of Mulan, but it, it's <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, and th- they made it through, and then I was born in Thailand on the way to the refugee camp. And for me, um, so on my passport, it actually says that I was born in Laos, in Vientiane, Lao, Laos, but I was actually born in Thailand, but we had to lie. I hope I don't get my citizenship taken away, but we had to lie. <laughs> because if I said I was born in Thailand, then I would have been separated from my family because you can't be a war refugee in a country you were born in, you would just become like a citizen of that country. So, um, yeah. And then we came to Canada. So that's about what I know. I will say too, with my, with my dad and his life, he was very successful, um, of, uh, a very, very smart man. Um, he's a forest ranger, um, back in the old country and he had to give that all up when he came here and take a labor job. And so, you know, I think I inherited a lot from him and, anybody who knows me from comedy knows I'm not a humble person. I I feel like I'm just really good at a lot of things, (laughs) you know, from, you know, in high school I was, you know, our, our sports MVP, you know, top student, you know, I think obviously I have a big ego about my comedy as well, but one person who I will always put above myself, he's basically better than me at everything is my dad. Like basically at sports at everything, like with, um, so in, so for badminton, I was, I'm not sure I've told the panelists before, but I was the provincial champion of Manitoba in, um, in badminton Ooh. Mm. In, in, in high school. And um, my dad used to play on like the Thai national team. So even with one leg, even with like ACL surgery, with like all these cranes and stuff, I was on such a high from winning. I'm telling you, I played him the next day. He beat me <gasps> 15 to one. And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the one was like a sympathy point. Like that is the level difference. So I do really look up to him. You know, like I said, I sort of went into him a bit about, you know, his viewpoints when he first moved here, being a strict parent, holding on to those values of, you know, you need to hit your kids and stuff. But I really do look look up to him. He has so much strength to have changed and, you know, adapted to Canada now many years later. And really, if if he was able to flourish in a country like Canada, you know, with the success that I found in different fields in Canada, I, I can only imagine. Because, like, his personality is about five times bigger than mine. Like he's this huge personality. I do think he's smarter. He's also better at sports. Like I actually can't really name a thing that might that I'm better than than my dad. And I'm a really, really conceited person. So get him on
3: stage, man. Let's put him on stage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um maybe someday. Maybe someday. So that's sort of the story of what I know about my parents. Um Ooh. I'll leave it open for whoever wants to go next.
3: I mean, yeah, like my like my mom's story is like kind of the opposite basically like she grew up in a super wealthy family like you know how like some parents they have the whole like oh you know when i went to school i had to climb over a mountain and like with one shoe (laughs) and they carry all your siblings my mom's story was like yeah they took me to school in a limousine it was so embarrassing Uh (laughs) (laughs) and she has like a liberal arts degree right so like i was like like when i was an engineer i was like I was doing like 50 hours of like class a week, 20 hours of labs. She was like, 10 hours of like class a week. So it's like, there was no, you know, my dad was a little more, he he was an engineer as well. And he started his own business. Like he, you know, like I said, like he was more, he wasn't like as wealthy, like, and then like my mom came here and they were both, you know, less wealthy. Um, And my dad built like his whole business from like scratch here and uh yeah like it was you know this whole like but yeah like so from that it was really you know him showing me like like he had like a very entrepreneurial spirit like he still does like he's in his 70s now and he's supposed to be retired he just started a new business Mm. like this is just kind of where he's at so like this is kind of like that's kind of what i've taken what he's like imparted to me like really is that that spirit of like independence and not really wanting to work for anybody else Mm. And I hate working for people. Like as soon as I have to work for somebody, as soon as somebody's my boss, I fucking hate them. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what is it. Like I mean, I've had some great bosses, by the way. Like and like, but there's something, you know, where I'm just. I think there's look. I, I, yeah, I'm not not every boss, you know, in case they're listening. Like there's some like if I respect them, like if I think they're, you know, uh, then I'm like, yeah, it's sure. Then but like as soon as like anybody in authority says something stupid, and I'm like, oh, I'm. You're stupid. And then immediately I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do anything for you. Mm. And that's kind of like, and that's kind of like how my dad is too. Like my dad is very much like he doesn't suffer fools Mm. and he doesn't compliment anybody ever really. Like I've gotten maybe two compliments out of them in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) What what were they? What were they? You know, what's crazy? It's so is like when I did the, like when I started comedy, of course they were like freaking out. Right. (laughs) But you know, like I've built enough of a career where, you know, because like literally this was completely from scratch, right? Like it's not like my parents are gonna like there's no nepotism involved, you know. Like there's there's no connect this is like everything I built, like this whole career. But then it's a second career. Like I built it entirely from scratch, and like I'm making a living doing arts in Canada, which is very hard to do. So I think like it's to the point where my my dad recognizes how difficult that was and he complimented me on that. Mm. He complimented me on like, how hard I work to get to this, which mm. I think is like the greatest compliment because he worked hard, mm. right? So like if I can just match that, I'm like, I'm proud.
0: Okay, great. Thanks. Let's uh, let's head on over to Sebastian and what do you know of your parents' lives before you were born?
1: Okay, so uh, my, uh, my paternal grandfather, he was a guy who, uh, he was a bit of a spendthrift. He lost a lot of money. So my, my father became very strict and uptight about money. And it's interesting how certain qualities alternate generations like this. It's like we look at our parents and say, I don't want to be anything like that. Uh, like I actively try to avoid being cheap. I tip 20% even if the service sucks. I had a haircut a couple months back where the guy cut my hair halfway cut his hand, bled on me, oh. and I still tipped him $5. Oh, oh, I, uh. I see it as part of the price of service, and it's not up to me to decide. Also, I was scared of him because he was yelling at me with bloody scissors.
0: Uh, oh. uh,
1: but I have worked in restaurants, so that might have an influence on my tipping pets, right? So my parents moved from uh, Canada to Michigan to have kids. And now my brother and I both moved back to Canada. And it's a bit like us showing how much we disagreed with that initial decision to move. Uh, mm. But it's, it's made me a bit wary of being tied down to, lo- to a location. Because even if my parents wanted to leave the, uh, the U.S. in the crash, they couldn't because our house was there. And our, my father would never sell the house for less than a profit, right? Mm. Uh, and even now they live in that house, even though all of our friends and family live in Canada. Uh, I hope that they come, uh, they come back home someday. But
0: mm. okay, great. And 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 Jennifer, you've told us a lot about the story of your mom and dad. But is there anything more you want to add about who they yeah, were well, as people before so
2: they had children? It's so timely, I think, because you know to, this week's topic is about like intergenerational stuff and Asian families. And my, I just went to a private screening for my sister's uh, CBC short documentary yesterday. It's entitled sing me a lullaby. And it was a film that she started God, like 15 years ago when she was 19 oh. and she had that lesbian haircut where it's like shaved on one side with the patterns and she went all the way to Taiwan with two friends to locate, to try to locate my mother's birth parents. And she was successful in finding them. So she has all this footage. um, And she made a documentary out of it, like she finished it. And through this film, I really got to see and understand more of my mother's journey. Like I know that when she was four or five years old, her father had a gambling problem, took all her brothers and sisters, including her and tried to like, uh, sell them off to pay his debt. They spent a night in jail. The mother like kidnapped them from my grandmother and said, I'm going to kill the kids. If you give me your earnings from your waitressing job and she couldn't find them. So she called the police, the police arrested him, locked the kids in jail. But then once they were released, he tried selling them off. And my grandma had to work her ass off to get the money to buy each child back, but she didn't have enough money to buy my mother back and so she eventually did locate my mom and she would see my mom uh, growing up through a playground and realize that my mom was better taken care of by this new woman who was a widow and already had two grown-up kids. So my mom was just like a younger child that she could dote on. My mom had fancy shoes. She went to school. And for years, my pater- my maternal grandmother would watch through a playground fence, watch my mom grow up and didn't say anything. And then so my mom hadn't gone back to Taiwan in 30 years. And when my sister found her mother, like it was like a huge reunion back in Taiwan. But then shortly after, my maternal grandmother had a stroke and um, couldn't communicate. So that was all conveyed in the movie. It's very sad. Uh, So my mom had a pretty tragic kind of upbringing in a way. Um, She always longed for her mother's touch and she rationales like her reasoning behind not being affectionate towards us when we were kids, like not hugging us and not saying, I love you. I mean, Asian families aren't that like expressive in that sense, but she really never did that. It was because she didn't have that growing up. So, you know, whereas my father, he's the complete opposite. He's very, very, I guess, cheap with his words, right? I love you. They say have a saying in Chinese where if you have to say, I love you so much, it probably means that you don't mean it like Mm -hmm. you're compensating with the words. And that's kind of my dad's style, very different than my mom. My mom is selfless, giving, martyr, caring, like sacrifices herself for anyone, but also naive, you know, and my dad, he was one of nine kids and they escaped during the cultural revolution to Taiwan and they were dirt poor. I think he lost one of his testicles climbing a jagged fence. Mm -hmm. That's his story. He was, Probably experienced with being gay at one point when he went to an all boys school. Mm-hmm. He was a total womanizer, though, after that, that I know about my dad, but he was great at basketball. He loves Jeremy Lin. Like he was, <laughs> like he was like the Damien spire of basketball in Taiwan. Like they love basketball, and he loved basketball. So that's such a crazy
3: profile for your dad. You this know, is a wild ride. Gay experiences. He fucked a lot of women. He loves basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I was and like, it, like, that's like, like, it, like why that's why for he, his Tinder profile. Like, what the? You're like. Oh, fuck is going yeah. on? Maybe ah.
1: like lead with the basketball to ease into the whole like missing testicle. <laughs> 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 I
3: mean, with lost the ball. No. Oh. And then you <laughs> end it with oh. loved ball.
1: Because like it's it's a pattern of behavior. It's like, oh he's sporty. Oh he's he's like reckless too. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, thank you for sharing your stories about your parents and their values and who they were before they had kids. Now let's jump into our movie of the week, which um, plays upon all of these um, themes. It's the legendary The Joy Luck Club. So, you know, this is a groundbreaking movie, all Asian cast, um, only... It's only happened three times in Hollywood history. Of course, the most recent was Crazy Rich Asians, where a Hollywood movie had like a pretty big budget. And, you know, when I was watching this, I could definitely tell like they gave it a big budget. It was the type of book that if you read it, you would think this is unfilmable. There's so many stories, so many sets, so many countries and places and, you know... Um, eras that they have to film so many characters that, you know, they really did put a lot of money into this production. So, you know, I think it's it's great that we get to talk about it this week. Um, let's first go to Leonard. Um, what did you think of this movie?
3: Okay, once again, uh, I love this podcast because it's forced me to watch all these Asian movies <laughs> that <laughs> I haven't watched before, that I really, yeah, really haven't watched already. Yeah. Um, and again, this is the first time I've ever watched Joy Luck Club. Way. Yeah. You know what's really funny? I remember I asked somebody, when back when it came out originally, I asked a friend, uh, another like Asian dude, and I was like, did you watch the Joy Luck Club? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what did you think? He was like, I cried. I was like, why'd you cry? It's was like, because all these women were with white guys. Like, he was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Um, but yeah, like, well, like you said, it's such a huge story. And it's interesting that... Um, yeah, like the, they filmed it, they did a good job of translating it to the screen, but like this is what I felt about it. Like the right, you know, like they, because there were so many different storylines, so many things they were trying to shove in, there was like no room for character development. So like everything was just kind of a caricature. It was very, you know, there was, it was kind of like very surface level, you know, and, and as a result, like, especially in the modern day scenes, I noticed this. Uh, where it's just like, how, how did this happen? Like, why is any of this happening? You know, yeah. like, okay. So first of all, like rich, the white, the, there was like the white guy, uh, he was rich and his name is rich. Mm, well done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, he gets fucking up. He's meeting like Asian parents and he keeps fucking up. I took, I, that felt good to me. Cause my wife, <laughs> she's white. She never fucked up. It was great. Um, <laughs> But there's another scene, like Lena, Lauren Tom, aka Ross's girlfriend on Friends, aka the only Asian ever on Friends. Uh, <laughs> like her, she was married to this like Asian dude, Harold, who was so annoying. He looked like like an Asian David Cross from Arrested Development. Like and you look at them and it's like, how the hell did these two ever fuck? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand. How did this marriage get this far? Like, how did you agree to this? Because like it was nuts. And uh yeah and then there was this part when uh, Rose I guess uh, you know and by the way everybody's chinese in this thing and then at one point like this like racist white mom and uh, and she's like oh you know like uh you know she, called, she basically referred to her as vietnamese and she's like I'm not vietnamese I'm american I was like man you're chinese like man like why oh it was yeah also you know what I, uh all what really bugged me is like, although there's two white guys in this movie and they're both decent people, really, most of the Asian guys, total dicks. I'm <laughs> like, oh, yeah. there's like an abuser and a rapist and then Harold, all right? It was just <laughs> a <big fuck. laughs> was just, like, those, I was like, you couldn't make a good Asian? You couldn't make a good Asian? Like, come on. And uh, and I would have loved, and like, yeah. So they're bringing white guys home and people are freaking out. I would have loved it if Waverly, who, by the way, to be chinese played by a japanese woman and the mm. child version played by a vietnamese girl I'm like come on man i would have loved it if she like brought a black guy home and just broke everybody's brains <laughs> that's i want to see that movie mm. like that's the movie like we, the, I, we should write that well you can't write it now but you, back yeah. then it would have been
1: you want the joy black club
3: the joy yeah no joy one thing i will say is she you wasn't like, one thing
0: I will say is she wasn't just Japanese; she was Japanese Filipino. I want to put that in because I know Filipinos get mad at me because okay. I do this fair, joke fair, fair, about fair. Filipinos aren't Asian, so they're all—it's it, a She's joke. In I, I, kid I do too. think they're Asian, but if if we were to erase the fact that she was half Filipino, I would get some hate mail. Fair enough. Didn't um, know
3: that, but she also played a very <laughs> Japanese woman in, in Karate Kid too. Okay. for <laughs> uh, the thing that really resonated with me, actually, the most is. I mean, at this point, it doesn't matter if we're spoiling this, right? Because it's like, what, 40 years old? <laughs> uh, but there's that scene, I guess, at the end when, uh, when the dad is talking about how he can't find anything because his mom died and she doesn't know where anything is. And I was like, that would 100% be me. If my wife died, I would have no clue where anything is. <laughs> so I have to die first. <laughs> mm. Nice. Okay, great.
0: Yeah, you know, I I really loved the movie. It was actually my first time watching it as well, and I watched it, like, back to back to back because it was, like, a 48-hour rental and I wanted to get my money's worth. And I, I actually really <laughs> I really liked it, you know, just from, you know, I, I, I am starting to, to produce some short films now, so I'm doing a lot of, like, production design. And the first thing I noticed, I was just, like, I was comparing, you know, the movie and the book, and everything and i was just like how did this even get greenlit i was like this is crazy there's so many stories there's so many sets there's so many locations there's so many characters and, and there's so many asians and so many asians it, it was it was really great and obviously it didn't capture everything that was in the book and they had to put in you know a few like narrative devices Um, like the, um, like the whole going away party that doesn't exist in the book at all. That's just, so the film has a reason to get all the characters together. So it has a narrative frame to go in and out. So I thought it was kind of clever. Um, but you know, I, I do think part of what they took away from the book, which is actually our topic for next week, which is Asian superstitions is a lot of the, is like, a lot of the character motive motivations were due to superstition, and you get a little bit of a taste of that in the movie. But some of it might not totally come across. Um, so if there's some character motivations, Leonard, that you don't quite understand, it's probably because it's really based on superstition, um, and is explained more in the book. I, I will say, Fair
3: th- I gotta read. The, I gotta read the book. Like, I gotta, oh, it's, yeah.
0: it's it's well worth it. It's well worth it. Um, I, I will say too, like the the one thing. Character-wise, that I really noticed that I thought was odd was that they made all the parents really, really strong women in their own way, and they made all the daughters like super weak-ass bitches. I was like... (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you could have at least flipped one of them where, like, the daughter was, like, the strong one. Even, like, Waverly, who's supposed to be the strong one, like, kind of, she was just controlled by her mom, and she... I don't know. I just I would have liked at least one of one of the characters to flip because when you have that many stories, I don't like when it follows the same pattern too many times. And I would say that was my one critique, which is you can't have all the daughters being weak and all the moms being like these powerful ass women who overcame so much in their lives
3: um but the moms are real that's the theme right i guess they gotta stick with the theme where like this is what they're passing on to their daughters that's true that's true i'm so you have one that's different then it's like well hold on what the fuck was the theme of this movie (laughs) so i guess they had to stick with that 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 would be my as a writer i'm assuming Uh, that's what happened
0: I I will say too, and I probably should have started this review with Jennifer because she is the only Asian woman on this podcast. And last week I silenced her by not having her mic on. And this week I forgot to put her first to review a movie that's all about Asian women and their moms. So I apologize again for not doing my part as a feminist. Um, But now let's go to Jennifer to review a movie about Asian women and their moms. (laughs)
2: Well, I watched this movie when I was like maybe 12 or something for the first time. And I remember it being so groundbreaking because it was the only like mainstream Hollywood Asian movie that I ever saw with a full fledged Asian cast. And I loved it, not just because of like the whole mother daughter themes, but because it was generational and because I could relate to it as a daughter of immigrant parents and just seeing the shit that my parents went through. And it gave me a glimpse into, you know, a different, like my culture, obviously, but a land that I'd never been to China. And the most fascinating parts of this movie for me are definitely the scenes that take place in the olden days in China. Um, They touch on so many themes, just like the arranged marriage, the concept of, you know, first wife, second wife, third wife of honor and respect and how your family can disown you if you've brought them shame. I mean, these are serious, like Asian issues, not just in China, but India. Like they kill women in India if they disgrace a family. In China, not as bad. Like she had an affair with a married man and became his third wife. And that was such a dishonor to her family that they disowned her. But she, as the obedient daughter, still came back and slit her wrists to make soup for her dying mother, even though the mother's like, get out of here, you freaking whore. I don't want you. She's like, no, mom, drink my blood, live forever, Dracula. No. And then she dies um, and she brings her daughter to this rich man's family and witnesses this man, this, this fat pig coming into her room at night to like just bone her. And shortly after this scene, I think resonated with me the most because the woman, the third wife looks identical to my mother. and. Mm. The suffering, the quiet suffering, the the offering of unconditional love is just so inherent in my mother. And I could see my mother doing that, of being a victim to her circumstance. And I just even as a young girl, it resonated so strongly with me. And even today, when I watch that scene of the woman lying on her deathbed and the whole family dressed in white and they're acting all ashamed because they know they fucked with her um like I cry and then I love that scene when the daughter takes the pearls you know like as if that was her guilt present and she goes and she crushes the pearls (laughs) these days when I'm like upset with my kids I'll just like put a hand in their head and be like (laughs) (laughs) so the movie obviously sticks to me um God, that's, you know, Leonard mentioned Harold. Harold is such a douche. Like they're splitting. I mean, like the typical accountant, right? Like they're splitting their bills down to the cat's litter. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but you bought me that cat for my birthday. And now I have to pay for its fucking litter. I mean, it does seem like an like kind of not a realistic marriage but i can also see that happening i really think like he would track orgasms
3: yeah but i had <laughs> but you had life, so it's exactly. like three, they would three, count equal that equal number of orga- like it's just
1: in. he's got an abacus tracking them yeah uh,
0: i will <laughs> yeah. say that with with gay men because it's less common to have like simultaneous orgasms there is a bit of tracking like <laughs> there is it really is it, it, i feel like it's, it might be a gay thing because it's not like anyway i'll i'll just i'll just throw that out there for people who don't know tracking orgasms um is a thing yeah not in my sorry, relationship I just to, I, 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 is I, there I an want to app that. for that <laughs>
2: tracking orgasms
0: that's pretty good uh, well, um okay uh
2: back to jennifer sorry to uh you No, know, i was just gonna say face. last comment was um The scene, Waverly's mother, oh my God, she's such a character. When she's like the chess champion and she's parading through Chinatown with the newspaper of her daughter, like walking with it up to her chest. be like, it's my daughter. She's the chess champion. Like that is just so. Asian. Yeah. (laughs) Paradox of Asian culture, which is we're supposed to be humble and not brag. And yet we are such freaking show offs. Like we are so comparing our kids you know, so proud, it's just this double like entendre thing. And I just, I related so much to that. And I think that's where, why we're overachievers, because that energy, that energy of be successful, work hard, outdo us make us proud, like, from a young age, I don't know why I felt like I needed to buy my dad a Mercedes. Like I felt like I had to be successful enough to like repay him back. And I think the difference between Mm -hmm. other cultures and Asian cultures, specifically Chinese is we feel this need to give back to our elders, to our parents. Like it's a debt that needs to be repaid. And I think that's a theme through this movie too. Just like this giving back. Like it's a very, like nothing is for free. Like we birthed you so that you could take care of us.
1: You know, I really resonate with that uh, with that feeling of like you've, you, with the the parents make you feel like uh, you owe them. Like, yeah. So, someday I'm gonna like write my dad a check and say, "Fuck you, here's here's all the money it cost."
3: <laughs> I never felt that, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, you do. <laughs> oh, Leonard. Go on. <laughs> Sounds like.
0: Sounds like your childhood was uh, pretty good, other than getting beaten by sticks like a whore. Yeah, why did you th- <laughs> play that so much? Like, man, it was so
1: good. I was
3: beaten by sticks. That was my favorite yeah, part. Yeah, my actually. parents are awesome, other than the <laughs> stick beating part. <laughs> nice. Uh... <laughs> Help to break up the monotony of all
2: the awesomeness. Yeah. Leonard Seabiscuit Champ. Like if you
3: if you take
1: every day, you know, once, no the next problem, day you get you're yeah. Like you know, it's a change of pace.
0: I don't mind it. Okay, and uh, I'll give the last word as far as review over to Sebastian. What did you think of this movie? And uh, did it resonate at all? Since it was all about Asian Asian
3: women.
1: So there's a there's like a, a unique flavor to Asian suffering. It's got like a lot of like a hints of like poverty and then like a lot of societal pressure. Uh, it,
3: <laughs> ben, it, ben and Jerry, get on yeah, this. Yeah. It, <laughs> exactly. It,
1: it hurts. Like it hurts me to like watch these uh, like a bunch of tragedies of, of Chinese ge- generations, mainly because like it feels like there's no end to the misery. Like it's not a cathartic sadness of like an emotional scene, it's more like a, like a, a deep, bleak suffering. Uh, and you know it's this movie has is a lot of endless like sad reminiscing about shitty things people did to these women for like basically no reason (laughs) uh when i was uh when i was growing up i read a a book called red scarf girl well a book about a a girl growing up in the cultural revolution and and it's like it feels like the storytellers are are powerless that like everything sucks and even like when you can claw some like measure of victory and things are going well like, it's not that great. Like, it's still, like, not great conditions. And then it's, it's right back to business as usual. Uh, and there's a lot <laughs> – they, they do a lot of suffering in this movie. Uh, and, you know, there's a scene where uh, one of the women she, – she immigrates, and she loses her pet swan. And, uh, well, it's very sad that she lost her pet swan. Jeez. No one should be allowed to own a pet swan. They're menaces and extremely territorial <laughs> if you're if you're having a picnic and you see a swan walk towards you, you get up you walk away. That's now the swan's picnic. You have nothing to do with that. <laughs> now, this, this, is, this is a, a scene with a, a man who like fists a watermelon in this movie and then he like, eats it seductively and so so i marvel at the confidence of of a man who will fist a watermelon in a white dress shirt (laughs) not only does he finger up all the watermelon ruining it for everyone else without a care but then he rubs it all over his mouth fearing no dripping at all and he walks away with clean sleeves (laughs) if i ever see someone on his game like that i'm packing up because he's dialed in
3: i've got no i've got no business here yeah like that guy, he could be easily could be in the KKK because all those white robes, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> That's keep these that's things clean.
1: The that's the kind of confidence that you can start a political like movement, like a cultural revolution around that kind of magnetism.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, someone who will just like confidently do something stupid, and suffer no consequences and get a big win. <laughs> he, he just, clean shirt. That's
2: that's
1: sure. your guy. that's
0: campaign. Your yeah. Okay. Thank you, yeah. Sebastian, for that take, and thank you to all our comedians for that uh, interesting, uh, windy review of the Joy Luck Club. But I, I think the uh, the last word is just see this movie, read the book. It's historic. It's there's so many things to learn. Um, it really made me look at my mom and my parents in a different way. And um, I think that's really important. So for next week, if you want to be part of the movie watching club, so you know what the hell we're talking about at the end of the podcast, our movie is crouching tiger, hidden dragon. And our topic of the week is. Superstition. How do Asians view superstitions? And what are the most insane superstitions that we are taught as children? If you are a listener and have suggestions for superstitions, you could leave a comment on the live stream, wherever you're listening to right now, um, or on the podcast. Um, I think most podcasts platforms of some type of like review comment kind of function and i get alerts on that and while you're there leave us a five-star review because that also helps us with the algorithm Um, i want to thank again all our panelists jennifer shung leonard chan and sebastian d chow i'm your host vong show and we will see you again next week